Envision, create, and believe in your own universe, and the universe will form around you. I can't think of a more perfect way to describe the journey of today's guest. On this episode of Those Who Play Create, we talk about music, adventure, and finding inspiration in the most uncommon of places as we discuss A Frog's Tale. Welcome to Those Who Play Create, the podcast that explores the stories, ideas, and inspirations of some of the gaming industry's best. Today on the show, we have a special guest. He's the lead developer, composer, writer, and pixel artist for the soon-to-be indie hit A Frog's Tale. Today we're talking to AJ Norman. How are you doing today, AJ? Yo, I'm good. I'm good. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh yeah, my pleasure. I came across the Kickstarter campaign a little while ago, and I've just been kind of like following the progress of the game. Um, And I very much just wanted to take the chance to reach out and see if you would be interested in talking about this. So I was super happy with like right before I was planning on it, you guys opened up your um, you opened, you know, everything up for people to do interviews. So perfect timing. Yeah, I was a little overwhelmed, you know, trying to to manage reaching out to like 100 different content creators and streamers and YouTubers and stuff. So I apologize if I was a little hands off during the scheduling process there. But, you know, I did my best to set up the, the GCAL appointment <laughs> calendar. So, <laughs> yeah, I was I was like, the floodgates are open. So let me go ahead and shoot a message really quickly now <laughs> before this gets buried. For sure. But, you know, so as we mentioned at the, the top of the episode, we're going to focus specifically on A Frog's Tale, which is your very first video game. And it is just now coming out of its Kickstarter campaign. You know, at the time of this recording, I believe, what, there's like a day or two? Uh, like 65-ish hours left, so oh. two or three days. Okay, yes, and you just hit a very important stretch goal. So, like, Kickstarter campaign is is going very well. But before we, you know, dive deeper into the game, uh, the stories behind it, your inspirations, etc., we just have our normal quick housekeeping. So, you know, as always, we'd love to hear from our listeners. Uh, so email me at twpc at loreparty.com with your thoughts, questions, ideas, etc. And you might see them appear in a future episode. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitch and Twitter at produced by underscore LK. And you can follow the rest of the Lore Party team on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch at lore underscore party. So now before we get into this episode... We're going to take a quick break right here. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. 
So now we're back. Um, let's kick this off with the same way that I kick off each interview that I do on this podcast. AJ, for those who are listening who might not be familiar with you or your work, can you give us a little bit of background on who you are, how you got started in the industry, and how you got to where you are today as a musician, artist, lead developer, business owner, jack of all trades? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing my best there. So my name is AJ Norman. I'm 31, about to turn 32 years old. As you mentioned, this is my first video game project but I have uh, extensive experience in music. I went to a music college specifically for uh, audio engineering. So like mixing and mastering. I have been like writing songs my entire life. So I took a few songwriting courses while I was there, but what I was really interested in was like learning the gear and the language of different engineering hardware and stuff. Because trying to wrap your head around like recording software back in 2009 when there wasn't a ton of, you know, YouTube resources out there to teach yourself it was it was really hard to to start from the ground up with electronic music so um i went to a school called ipr here in minneapolis and it had some pretty famous engineers working there so i got uh taught by steve hodge who was michael jackson's engineer oh wow and i got to record on you know big fancy analog boards and thousand dollar compressors and really vintage world war ii microphones and all this really cool hardware that I would never have access to otherwise and learning how to like use that properly to record instruments and stuff was really fun. So that's what I went to school for. Um, after that, I was mainly just producing music for myself, a lot of electronic dance music doing like dubstep and all of the various subgenres of electronic music, like house and things like that, um, playing in different projects and eventually got to a point where it's really hard to like make a career as a musician like that, just making music for yourself, trying to play concerts. So I, I really wanted to crack into the video game industry. I've always loved turn-based RPGs, especially Japanese anime style stuff. So thinking about how to crack into the industry as a composer is really intimidating because there's so many people that also want to do that and are willing to basically work for free or put up songs, you know, royalty free that people can use. So I didn't really have any connections in the video game industry. So I'm like, how do I crack into this industry or show potential people that I can work with, like what I'm capable of? So I started making a, like a mock-up soundtrack for a game that doesn't exist called A Frog's Tale. And I was basically writing songs just to try to capture pretty cliche moods that you are uh, doing a lot in RPG games like that, you know, like a desert level and a snow level and a different character themes and battle themes. And over time... I had like not a full game's worth of songs, but like the main important ones, you know, the main locations and the main things that are happening in the game. So starting to put together like a context and characters and locations for like a big cohesive package, you know, it was mainly a, a project to showcase my range as a songwriter. And the second purpose of it was to use a frog's tail and the frog character as my EDM alias and brand there's a few like edm producers if you're familiar with dead mouse or marshmallow yep they use like characters as their their persona when they're producing and performing all their album artwork is themed around these characters and all their show visuals and stuff so i thought that was really cool i didn't necessarily want to dress up like my frog character on stage <laughs> but i thought um being able to kind of tell the story of a video game like through a live set where it's like starting you in the the cozy village and then 
you know, the call to adventure and doing some boss battles and then like an epic finale. I thought that would be really fun to try to experience in the format that I was familiar with, which was like playing live shows as a DJ. So that's what it started as. As soon as I started like posting on Twitter about A Frog's Tale and being like, hey, I'm doing this. I presented it as a real game at first, even though it was still just a mock-up project, but it got people really excited. And that was what I really wanted to accomplish was like put this body of work out there with really impressive artwork and really impressive pixel art mock-ups. I spared no expense trying to find the best artist I possibly could because the scope was small. It was a mock-up project, right? Right. So I could spend a lot on a couple screenshots and a couple pieces of artwork. And the goal was to show this to people. And when they found out it wasn't a real game, they might be sad, you know, because the artwork is so good and the songs are so good. So that was kind of my goal. And maybe someone that listened to it could help me bring the project to life. But I kind of realized the potential of the project as soon as I started posting about it. It was by far the most interaction I'd ever gotten on social media because the characters are appealing, the artwork is good. I didn't really post any of the music to start with. I was just like, hey, it's a frog's tail. Check it out. (laughs) So there was a moment where we transitioned it to a real video game and I had to start looking for programmers to, you know, to make it a real game. And I didn't even really know what I was looking for, you know, so I made a post on Reddit. There's a subreddit called Game Dev Classifieds, where you can try to find people to help collaborate on your, your game ideas. I made a post with the Frog Sale artwork and the pixel art that I had commissioned being like, hey, here's some artwork that I have. I have an idea to make, you know, Mario and Luigi style turn-based RPG game. Does anybody want to help me? And I had expected like one or two people to, to reach out and be like, hey, this looks cool. But I had a full inbox of a hundred different programmers, super, super excited to get started on the game. Nice. Like right away. So I was super overwhelmed and didn't even really know, like I said, what I was looking for in a programmer. They're like, what engine are you using? What all these questions that I hadn't, I didn't even know to consider at that point. So it took about a month to filter through everybody and uh, decide who I wanted to work with. There was one, one person that really stood out in how they approached just asking me questions, you know, everyone else seemed like they were pitching themselves to work on my project. And uh, the studio that I'm working with, Myth Carver Games, they reached out and were asking very, very different questions and very meticulously thought out, just v- a very different approach than everybody else that wanted to work on the project. And it felt like I was pitching to them rather than they were pitching to me. Nice. And it's a bunch of really professional people. It's a bunch of ex-Ubisoft guys that works on Prince of Persia and stuff. So they have extensive experience like seeing a game from the ground up all the way to shipping it, being a commercial product. So like during that phase, I had to really think hard about like, okay, I've spent, I didn't spare any expense when it came to the artwork. If I'm a new developer and I'm trying to like make a splash in the industry and like prove that I can do this, I can't really spare expense anywhere because there's not a lot of indie games that come out and really stand the test of time. Right. So as a new developer, I'm, I have like a huge, huge task in front of me that seemed kind of impossible. So the logical step in my mind was to partner with people that have all of this experience that I don't, that can kind of mentor me through and teach me about the industry and, you know, challenge all my gameplay ideas and make sure that what we're making is feasible and possible and realistic and in scope and not going to cost $10 million, you know? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> those are the those are the important things. So, yeah, long long-winded answer there, but that's that's a little bit about who I am and how the the project came to be. 
No, that's that's actually super interesting, especially the 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 tidbit about you know breaking into the game industry as a composer. Uh, it's funny in a um, interview that I've I've done for the podcast uh, that'll probably come out after this episode. That was one of the things that I talked to um, the person that was making this game independently. They you know are also writing the music, and they were like, "That is the number one question I get asked." when someone DMs me about my game is like, can, do you need music? And then I'll do it for free. And they're like, I'm making all of my music. So I thought that part, that was, that was very interesting. Oh, I get, I get composers reaching out to me constantly. And it's like, if you would have read the Kickstarter, you would know that I'm composing most of the music myself. So I appreciate it. And it's flattering, but no, this is like at the end of this interview, I'm just going to uh, silently slide you my, uh, my demo tape. hey i would love to hear it man definitely um yeah it's it's a tricky if you don't know somebody that's already in the industry like it's it's impossible you know there's so much competition out there and like if you're just trying to prove that you can write a good song good luck so can a million other people why would they choose you right when they can get a royalty free song that sounds just as good but what people can't do is like work one-on-one with someone and really translate their ideas or their feelings or this concept artwork into a unique piece of music that fits cohesively with the rest of the songs and the sound effects and, you know, the character voice samples that you're like, it's all gotta be really, really cohesive. And like you think about really good video game sound effects, even you hear like a final fantasy menu selecting sound and you know, instantly what it's from. So trying to like, make super iconic sounds and you know super hummable melodies that get stuck in your head is such a challenge oh yeah yeah no 100 percent. and speaking of music and video games one of the unique things about frog's tale is it's how it utilizes music as a uh, as an element of gameplay and so just to kind of like you know kick things off and give some of the listeners an, a brief overview, Frogs Tale, this game that we were talking about, uh, is currently in Kickstarter, coming out of Kickstarter very soon, and it's billed as a charming froggy RPG with a musical twist on classic turn-based gameplay, in which you play as Norman, a young frog from the quiet forest village of Caropon, while investigating an, the abnormally large and aggressive bugs on the forest outskirts one day an unlikely encounter with a mysterious cardinal bird sweeps our hero off on an extraordinary journey to find broken shards of an ancient artifact with the alleged power to bring the dead back to life which there's there's a lot going on there and a lot of good things going on there so my first question for you you know i know that as a jack of all trades innovator and the creator of this project, the different elements, both verbal and nonverbal that make up a story are important to you. You mentioned in your Kickstarter profile that music and video games are your greatest joys in life and that you desire to combine these two elements in a meaningful way. Knowing that my question is, you know, knowing that you had the desire to combine these two elements, how did the story and initial idea for Frog's Tale unfold uh, especially when the idea of a musical RPG or an RPG with a sort of musical element in the way that this is utilized aren't, you know, isn't very common. How did, how did you come up with that idea and how did that specific element evolve over time with the idea? I know that we've talked a little bit about 
how the idea came to fruition, but now I just want to kind of like build upon that because I think that these these elements are very interesting. The story of a game, I tell you what, is is an interesting puzzle to put together because like in my mind, I have all these emotional moments that I can see playing out and having like a really strong emotional impact because I know the characters super well, you know, but being able to... <laughs> I don't want to make sure the player feels a certain emotion. It's kind of up to them how they feel about certain situations that we throw them into. But that's the challenge for me. It's called chasing the feeling where, you know, I want you to get to know these characters and love them and be on this journey with them so that when something happens, you feel it too. And what's interesting is uh, the game is about me. You know, it's it's a shameless self-insert character. Norman is my last name. And Norman <laughs> is the, the name of the frog. <laughs> and all the characters we meet along the way that join our journey all have their own kind of struggles that they deal with that are based on different things that I struggle. It's kind of like six different things that I picked out that I have a really hard time with that are kind of personified in these different characters. So there's a big grand story of you trying to find these different shards for this artifact. And there's a, an even a sub story in there about Norman the frog trying to find out what happened to his dad. That's uh really important to me because my my dad passed away right before I started really making this game. So it was kind of obvious what I was going to make the game about when it came to writing the story. But there it's it's a it's kind of a really emotional story with these characters going through some deep emotional struggles, but kind of wrapped up in a cutesy, charming, you know, traditional find the MacGuffin style RPG. So I, I like that where I'm presenting you this really cutesy world. But if you get to play the game, it's it's a lot more than that, you know? And the musical aspect, it's funny. It wasn't actually my idea. I was working on, back when it was a mock-up project still, I didn't really think about the gameplay too much. Yeah, I had prototyped a few ideas. In fact, I've been trying to make like a top-down Zelda-style pixel art game literally my entire life. I've been downloading <laughs> Game Maker like every few years and like watching some tutorials and like doing as much as I can and then kind of realizing like, oh, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing with programming or how to structure a large project. Like, so I always kind of reach a ceiling. So <laughs> then I shelf it and wait a few years and think maybe I'll be smarter now. But when we were working on that anime style intro cinematic, that was made in 2019, back when it was still just a mock-up project. That was going to be like my, you know, my big shining secret thing that nobody would expect for something that's just a mock-up game because it's way over the top and unnecessary, you know? Yeah, But during the creation of that, I, I give a lot of credit to the team that animated that because they had to ask me a lot of questions about what they're animating. Like, what weapon does this character use? Or what, you know, what does this setting look like? We need more details about all of these different things. So I had to really rapid fire come up with solutions and, uh, you know, what exactly they were animating when I didn't really have any of that back in 2019. But one of them suggested when I was turning it from the mock-up project into a real game, you know, you kind of want to throw all of your favorite things from all of your favorite games into your dream game and hope it works. Uh, like there was originally farming and, you know, planting seeds and stuff. The, the original <laughs> point of the game was to like go around to these different areas and get their regional seeds and bring it back to your farm and grow them for whatever reason. It didn't really make a ton of sense. And it's, really far away from what the game turned into now. Um, but one of the, one of the team on, or one of the team members from the, the animation that did the anime and intro cinematic suggested that since I was a music producer, 
that the battle system could have some kind of rhythm component since he knew I liked Mario and Luigi and Paper Mario. So it wasn't even really my idea. Oh, wow. And at the time, it sounded like too complex to even tackle game, like systems-wise. It's, it's so abstract in my brain that I couldn't really figure out an elegant way to make a rhythm RPG work in my head. So it took like a long time to like conceptualize how it would even work and how the music would change dynamically based on what you're choosing. And, you know, it's a kind of a complex thing to wrap your head around under the hood, but the goal is to make it simple seeming for the player. So they're not, it's not overly complex. I want to make a game for non-rhythm fans. If you're an RPG fan and you're turned off by the rhythm aspect, I want that to not be a thing. It's got to be a good enough RPG that stands enough on its own. Yeah. And like a sweaty enough rhythm game that it's still somewhat of a challenge, you know? Yeah. I think the reason I'm doing kind of a hybrid between a Zelda style adventure and exploration and puzzle solving and turn-based RPG mixed with a rhythm game, those are my three favorite genres of games, turn-based RPG, rhythm games, and Zelda style games. I like comfortable gameplay experiences. You know, for me growing up, I got super intimidated by some Zelda bosses because I would die over and over again. And I hated losing progress, having to like work my way back to the boss. Yes. And I was kind of a little bitch gamer in that (laughs) sense. But like Frog's Tale to me, I want it to be a really, really pleasant experience that you're never really intimidated to boot up. You know, not like a super sweaty game where you're gripping the controller, but, you know, there still has to be a balance of challenge. We have to respect like hardcore RPG people because that's what I am. I'm a hardcore RPG people. I love I got 400 hours on Xenoblade 2 game with the most complex systems out there, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's awesome. And specifically, it's actually interesting to hear that that wasn't your idea because I had assumed uh, just based on some of the the information on the Kickstarter, especially when it talked about, you know, your your love for DDR. And I had honestly thought that that was, you know, how you mentioned, um, you know, taking all these elements of your favorite game and, and combining them and hoping it works. I had figured that DDR was one of those, but it is actually interesting how that came full circle, something that you, you know, you really do like enjoy ends up being a part of this type of game that you've always wanted to create. Yeah, I didn't want to do it unless I could do it in a way that is fun, I guess, you know, and like thinking about rhythm games, they're all very similar in the sense that, you know, you're doing some type of input to the beat of the music. Yep. The big thing that sets them apart is the UI and how they're presenting different buttons moving across the screen and when exactly you're supposed to press the button. So to me, the big challenge for Frog's Tale, if we were going to do it as a rhythm RPG-ish game was... How do we let the player know that it's a rhythm game with a UI that's not covering the entire screen? Or like I always bring up the Taiko Drum RPGs because they exist and they're a thing, but it's really just the Taiko Drum games with a kind of RPG coat on paint or coat of paint on top of them. Like you're you're still just doing song charts. Yeah. And the enemy dies whether or not you do good enough on the song. And it's not there's no strategy there. It's not really an RPG. You're just kind of walking around on a map between songs that you play. Yeah. So, you know, that was, that was the challenge just finding a way to, and I wasn't, I didn't want to do it until I found the right way to do it. And I was at a, a video game convention that had a uh, open arcade all weekend. It's like my favorite thing when they have all these obscure Japanese rhythm games on free play that you can just grind on all week. So I played Hatsune Miku project diva for the first time 
and had an epiphany and it was like that was the game i was waiting to see <laughs> to like to you know validate that it was possible to do what was in my head because buttons needed to be able to come from anywhere on the screen and land anywhere on the screen and be illustrated like in a in a way that's like easy to understand for the player so they have like the little clock that comes up and as soon as the hand comes back to noon that's when the button overlaps it. So it's you have two things that are telling you exactly when to hit the button. So that was great. So I always bring up the example of uh, like a lightning bolt's elemental magic attack if we wanted to do the button traveling in like a lightning-shaped path from the start point to where you're supposed to press the button. We can do that. We can do fake-out moves where like if an enemy is doing an attack on you, the button's coming over to the ring and maybe it like does a little loop-de-loop right at the end and kind of fakes you out and makes you flinch and think that it's, you know, yeah. a lot of like, it's it's super flexible in that sense. So it, it was smart that we, I don't know, like when you're designing a game, you got to know what you're doing as early as possible. Otherwise it's wasted time and wasted resources on stuff that you're going to redo later, you know? Yeah. So to me, that's that's such a huge challenge in gameplay design. I'm working with these really, really experienced people that n- I think in their mind, they know... <laughs> what they would do with the frog's tail, but they are all looking to me for answers since it's my game and I'm a new designer and they're like, how does this work? We have till Friday to figure it out. So I'm like, <laughs> okay. Uh, let me do my best to come up with the best solution for that. And I know that sometimes the solutions I come up with aren't the best. So I don't know. That's scary. And then they'll start developing something and six months later, I'll have a better idea to, <laughs> Too bad. You know, we just spent the last six months working on this. Hey, yeah. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes, um, you know, you know, building things within that con- constraint, especially when this is, you know, something you're doing for the very first time, you know, you never know, could honestly end up being like a very amazing, like, you know, never before seen element of a video game. And so far, I mean, honestly, this just from, you know, the, the research I've done for this episode, that's the vibe I'm getting from this. It's combining a lot of, of seemingly different uh, elements or, or game types within the realm of, of games that you like um, all into one, you know, like one cohesive package. And it's doing it in a way that isn't, doesn't, doesn't feel forced. Yeah. I think like finding a, a reason for it to be a rhythm game story-wise was important too. You yeah. know, like there is a an overall reason that's explained in the story as to why like rhythm rhythmic inputs do more damage or like why music is such a huge deal in the world. I don't really want to talk about that this early necessarily, but that was kind of important to me when just always asking why and why and why. So like working backwards and trying to like come up with a cool lore that (laughs) reinforces the gameplay you know like i love xenoblade games for that reason you're on a planet but it's not even really a planet you're like on a big creature and like even that is so cool there's so many games that just assume that you're on some fantasy planet but even like working backwards from there and thinking about the origin of the universe and like what are we even standing on like that's that's so interesting to me yeah and i mean i and just like you know, previous um, previous interviews I've done too, I've had conversations with like solo developers where I'm like, where do you come up with this, these ideas? And honestly, like that was in one of the earlier interviews I've I've done for this podcast. Uh, that was what someone told me. They were like, I ask myself why a lot because it's just me and a few other people. So like when I come up with an idea, like I can't 
put it into a project unless there is that, like, and unless I've like answered specific questions. For sure. And the cool thing is you don't even need to reveal all of those answers to the player. The, I think the less you say, the better, but the more of those questions you answer and you have that knowledge that informs design decisions and, you know, asset creation and world design decisions, you can tell when something has had a lot of thought into it versus, you know, skimming the surface and doing the obvious thing. So I think like world building in that sense is super fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so now we, this is the part of the interview where we will just transition into just some of your personal uh, inspirations for this project, which we have kind of, of touched on, um, you know, your love for rhythm-based games and RPGs were definitely, they were, you know, were definitely a driving force behind this. Um, and then there were also some games that were mentioned on the Kickstarter page that we'll get into. What I absolutely love about Frog's Tale is the unique battle system that, you know, we've talked about borrows um, this sort of like DDR style, like not necessarily just DDR style, but it borrows this uh, rhythm rhythm game element and like RPG sort of turn-based combat. And it borrows these two elements uh, almost evenly. I think one thing I haven't talked about though is beyond the battle system, you know, we're using music and rhythm in a lot of the exploration side of things too. So when you're outside of combat, we have platform, we have magic lily pads in our demo currently that will appear and disappear every like two beats. So people have had a lot of, uh, it's it's a very difficult platforming section. There's a shot in our trailer where you can see the frog jumping between, yeah. it's like six lily pads in a row that are all appearing and disappearing. So people have had some trouble with that. The funny thing is, you know, it's a game that's built directly to my tastes. So like, I, <laughs> I really have no issues playing these platforming sections. And, but yeah, it's uh, we have basically anything in the world. We have the system in place that always knows what the tempo of the music is, what chord is currently playing. So we can basically manipulate anything to the beat of the music. And when we're designing different gameplay elements, it's always, you're kind of looking at it through and always reminding yourself, like, how can we apply music or rhythm to this and have it not be a corny gimmick type thing? So thinking about like puzzle mechanisms in Zelda games, something that is pretty common is like a chain that you'll pull and then after a certain time it'll go back in. Yeah. So having a chain like that, that like inches back every beat of the music. So, you know, you pull it and it has like four beats until it's back in. I don't know. It's, there's so many things that can interact with the music and it's a really satisfying thing when the entire world is, uh, is all kind of click, click into that, that metronome, you know? Yeah. And so, so to tweak that question a little bit then is like, how did the just like sort of non-combat, um, like rhythm style, like puzzle elements come to be? Was that also always a part of the original design or, um, and kind of what came first? Was it the puzzle side that you decided to do this rhythm element, uh, add this rhythm element aspect to, or was it the uh, battle system that was first? Definitely the battle system. Um, I was playing one of the moments that reinforced to me that it would be fun. You know, it had been suggested by one of those animation team members to do that. And I hadn't really figured out how it would be fun yet. But I was playing Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga because, you know, I was looking for inspiration for what I could do with the game. And not a lot of games point to Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga as an inspiration. There's been a lot of like recent indie Kickstarter ish games that point to Paper Mario. And 
use that as one of their inspirations, but not a lot point to Mario and Luigi. I was playing that game recently and like during battle in that game, the characters are doing these idle animations that look like they're dancing. <laughs> the the battle music slaps and you're doing these bros attacks where like time kind of slows down and waits for you to press the button during these complex multi-button attacks that involve both Mario and Luigi. And I found myself like while I was just waiting for battles to unfold in that game, I'm like tapping my thumb on the edge of my Game Boy, just kind of jamming to the music. And I'm like, man, there's not like a super good indication. Like this game doesn't telegraph to you very well exactly when the most effective time to press buttons is. It's kind of like you either hit it or you don't. It's not very granular. So that was uh, one of the, like, it was kind of an aha moment where I'm like, man, it would be really satisfying if Mario's jump landed on one of these quarter notes and all of these beats, you know, all these different rhythmic or uh, multi-button inputs were like eighth notes and quarter notes. It would be really satisfying. So I don't know. That's, it, it wasn't the idea that sprouted there, but it was kind of like validation that it might be a fun thing because I was basically playing Mario and Luigi like that, hoping that, or, you know, wishing that those actions would land on the beat. Okay. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. And then I think it was the um, the team at Myth Carver just kind of challenging my gameplay ideas and being like, like asking me questions and grilling me about the design of the game, being like, is it just, a, just the combat that's uh, rhythm-based? And I was like, oh, shit, I, I didn't think about that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Like, can we do other, it's, it's kind of like, a, I would always ask them, like, can we do this? And can we do that? And can we do that? And their answer is always, yes, we can do anything with code, but every feature has a cost. And the more complex it is, obviously, the more costly it is, the more hours it costs to implement properly. So do you want to spend the limited resources we have implementing these features? And most of the time for me, it's like, no, I see a lot of value in what the team calls very pointless polished features at this early in development, you know, <laughs> like I want the grass to bend as you step over it, or I want this bell to make a chime that's harmonizes with the background music. If you jump and hit this bell and they're like, what is the gameplay purpose of this? And I'm like, there really isn't, but it would be a nice thing to do. And that interaction is pleasant for the player. Like, it seems kind of a shallow way to design a game, but making some some content that's like easily shareable on social media is huge and marketable. And if it's not that much effort to implement, I think it's super worth it. If you look at Nintendo just released new Kirby game. Yep. The thing that I saw most people posting about on Twitter about that Kirby game was the fact that you can wave to the Waddle Dees in Waddle D Town. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a completely pointless feature, but that's what I saw most people posting about on Twitter. Yeah, there's that whole account. Uh, there's also that whole account of like, can you pet the dog? Exactly. And, they, and like <laughs> so many game designers are just making sure they include that so that they can get on that Twitter account. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's massively popular, too. It's just absolutely of insane. Course. And, you know, this next question we have kind of just touched on, but I want to talk about part of it um, just because I really did like the games that you listed on your um Kickstarter as inspiration. So like Mario and yep. Luigi Superstar Saga, Kingdom Hearts, and my absolute favorite game that no one ever fucking talks about, Tales of Symphonia. <laughs> I love this damn game. I love that game too. There's a lot of, uh, like someone asked on in our Discord, I think, what exactly the inspiration was. Because if you look at the game, I think you'd kind of be like, well, what is, 
what does this have in common with Tales of Symphonia? And to me, when I think about the Tales games, they are unparalleled when it comes to the interaction between your party members. Yep. Like it's such good writing and there's so many different ways that the party interacts. We have regular text boxes, we have the, the skits, we have cutscenes, and we have those moments where the party like breaks off, you know, and you're just one character and they're all like sleeping or whatever. You can go interact with them more. Like there's so many moments that that game allows for good character moments to happen. And to me, like I was saying, I want you to fall in love with my characters and feel what they're feeling. So that that was a huge inspiration. I love how wacky and weird and kind of religious the the story gets in Tales of Symphonia, yes, you know? Yes. You're kind of this person off going off and doing this thing that you have to do it's destiny or whatever, but the more you are on this journey, you learn that it's not really what you thought it was and it's yeah, you know, I like I I love that. It just gets fucking weird. Yes, the religious journey to the anti-religion <laughs> by the yeah. end of the game. So I think those are those are kind of the two main things. We're, I'm kind of handling skills in a similar way where it's, you know, you equip a weapon and it has kind of an affinity system Yeah. where a skill is attached to a weapon. And if you use it for long enough, then you have that skill forever. I always love doing that. The animated trailer at the very beginning of the game also reminded me a lot of the animated opening for Tales of Symphonia. Yes. And so totally, totally. That's why I was surprised. Like, oh, this is it's it's been out. But I was like, this reminds me when when Tales of Symphonia was mentioned in the Kickstarter. My first thought was like, oh, yeah, this this animated intro right here is definitely like, you know, paying a little bit of homage to Tales of Symphonia. For sure. That was the the reference I gave to the animation team first was like, here's the Tales games always have these intros that showcase just really heroic moments from each of the characters at their best, or maybe interacting with each, you know, it's like a highlight reel of the adventure you're about to go on. And I love that. It gets you so hyped. And like, sometimes it's moments directly from the game. Sometimes it's stuff that never happens in the game. You know, they're just kind of like scenes that you throw together, especially for that trailer. So um, like I said, we made that in 2019. So we didn't necessarily have like all the locations or all the events in the game laid out perfectly in 2019 when we were making that animated cinematic but i think it still does a good job of like showcasing the characters uh personalities and some moments that reinforce who they are you know yeah no definitely are there uh, like elements from games that you know haven't been mentioned like mario superstars or mario luigi superstar saga kingdom hearts or tales of symphonia are there any other game that you were like inspired by that you wanted to add elements to this game from but you just just didn't make sense yeah i mean um like i said there was a farming element in the game way back in the day um i think like i didn't mention zelda and the inspirations for the kickstarter necessarily zeldas are my favorite games ever i have uh, every single game complete in box in like a shrine uh (laughs) nice but it's if as soon as you mention Zelda, it's like I don't. We're a small indie team. I don't think we can make a better Zelda game than the Zelda team, who's the best of the best at making dungeons and doing this. You know, so I didn't really want to get compared to Zelda, even though it's kind of hard to avoid. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of things that we're not going to be able to do just due to the nature of the game. We're combining all these things. We're combining a rhythm game with a turn-based RPG with some Zelda top-down exploration stuff we can't go all out on all of those things. We simply don't have the budget. You know, those are three very standalone ideas that you could flesh out into their own full game and have been fleshed out into many full games. So we kind of have to like 
do a Zelda Light mixed with Baby's first RPG, <laughs> mixed with Baby's first rhythm game, but still make it challenging and you know respect the players of all three of those genres. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm very cautious about like trying to pick out anything else to add to the game now. It's like, I don't know. I already have such a complex game design. Frog plus five other characters. That's jumping and sword plus five other interactions that you need to account for every single object in the game, you know? And I mean, I feel like you found a perfect blend of gameplay elements that make this unique enough. And there are still some, you know, the Zelda uh, inspirations are still very prevalent. And, you know, like anyone who's played um, a Zelda game for like, you know, any handheld system is going to have that like Zelda feeling. And it's it's mm-hmm. good to have that feeling in the game without it being like, oh, this is this is just Zelda, you know, like for sure. You don't want to have the 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 like you know, borrow too many elements and someone's like, oh, I'm just playing like a, a fan made Zelda game. And I think that this game what it what I what I've liked about what I've seen so far is it seems like it there are clear inspirations, but like they are a driving force behind unique elements instead of just dumped into this game. Thank you. That means a lot that you said that actually, you know, because it's it's one thing that I think has been the hardest is I'm clearly paying homage to games that I like, you know, Chrono Trigger. I was very inspired by Frog. Frog with a sword is uh, the most epic thing. So being able to like pay homage to those games where if you play it, you know that I enjoy those games. I'm I'm one of you, you know. Yeah. But exactly, not not like Bug Fables, for example. Great game. It looks exactly like Paper Mario and it plays exactly like Paper Mario. Yes. Yes. It's always going to be compared to Paper Mario. Yeah. I don't know. I, I haven't played the whole thing. Does it do a better job of Paper Mario than Paper Mario? I couldn't tell you, but it's always going to be living in that shadow, you know? And I think that's unfortunate. Yeah, it's like if you play Ocean Horn and you're like, this is Zelda. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is this is Zelda for a mobile game. So we're going to take, we're going to take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about just some game development and, and your creative process. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so we're back. So in this part of the the interview, we want to talk about just the game development and creative processes, some things uh, we have touched on throughout the interview, um, and but there's always more that we can talk about. So my question for you is my long-winded question, because all the questions I have for these interviews are normally just me doing brain dumps, but... <laughs> One thing I always love to do is, you know, highlight the bits and pieces of a project that solo creators are responsible for, you know, and if, if my recording space that you can see here isn't an indication of the question I'm going to ask, we're going to talk about musical composition, which we have a little bit, but like I said, there's still more that we can talk about. So I was, you know, very 
very um, delighted to stumble across your SoundCloud page and see some of the um, Frog's Tail uh, music. Some of uh, was that the earlier composition Is that that made the game, or have these been refreshed since then? Um, I would have to see what's even on my SoundCloud page, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I'm not sure which ones you're referencing, but I have some that I've written back in 2017. It's when I started writing music for the project. Okay. But uh, they've all been kind of continuously updated. I think any musician would tell you that like, as you write, you kind of go through different phases and have uh, different little tricks that you might use for four or five songs in a row and then kind of get sick of it and learn a new trick and use that for four like i used to basically write songs exclusively with seven chords and then after a while i'm like why am i like too good for just a simple triad chord or what's going on here you know oh yeah no i feel the same way uh, i've got all of all of the the music equipment that's surrounding me too anytime i work on you know any project uh whether it be for the podcast or just personal i'm i'm like should I incorporate everything I have? And then I have this like whole just sort of, I don't know, like just internal dilemma of like, should I use all of the synths in this project? Should I just use one? Is one enough? And then it just kind of spirals off from there. So I totally understand that. Yeah. So I've had to update some of the earlier songs that I wrote as I like find new motifs that I want to incorporate into the whole soundtrack. I, I was talking earlier about how it's a big puzzle to put together a big cohesive collection of music as opposed to just writing one song and being done with it so it's like as you write songs and find the different parts that you want to carry between the entire album you kind of have to go back and update old songs to include those little easter eggs here and there um zelda soundtracks i love to point to because it's so many iconic melodies and huge confident pieces crammed into the same soundtrack so much so that you know you can hide zelda's lullaby backwards or upside down or whatever snuck away somewhere in a song and the fans will always find it and make a youtube video about the music theory that went into it and i think that's super cool oh yeah so when you you mentioned that this this game originally it started as a series of like music compositions. What was the thought process for the style? Was it, I mean, cause I, I know that you are a big RPG classic game, uh, like rhythm RPG fan. Um, what with, with all of the, you know, with all of your different game inspirations, how did you settle on the specific style that ended up blowing up into this massive project? And how has it changed since your original compositions? I'm using purposefully, you know, old school Casio sound fonts and stuff that they used back in the day for Super Nintendo-ish era soundtracks. The Game Boy Advance, I love the pixel art on, and I think that's super refined, but it had a pretty harsh sound chip, uh, whereas the Super Nintendo had a really nice, pleasing warmth to it. So um, I didn't necessarily want to stick to the same limitations of the Super Nintendo. So I'm writing everything and using Ableton Live with simplers and samplers and those different sound fonts. So it's pretty simple. It's, it's kind of been an exercise for me in restraint in songwriting. If you think about dubstep and electronic music, the type that I like anyway is really complex production that's almost meant to just be impressive to other music producers, you know? 
Um, so trying to like scale that back and just write hummable tunes and really confident melodies and uh, even rhythm games too. If you think about DDR, they have to write these step charts to them. And most of the time, like the, the buttons you're pressing line up to the lead melody. Yep. So having like really strong lead melodies that people can recognize was something that was really important and not something that I really paid attention to when I was focusing on writing dubstep. A lot of that is so energy-based, you know, and using effects and sweeps and gritty, you know, minor chords all the time just to achieve a certain uh, push and pull of energy, you know, a buildup and a drop and a release. Whereas uh, structure and guiding the listener from one place to another via these really primitive sounding samples is just a completely different challenge. So it was, it was a big, big uh, exercise in restraint for me, just stripping everything back until it's left with only the elements that it really needs to, to be the song that it, that fits the the purpose, you know? Yeah, definitely. The, I will say, I mean, I'm, I'm very, I'm very impressed with the music I've heard. Like, thanks. I've, also, you know, shout out to uh, anyone that uses Ableton because that is my DAW choice of the millions of DAWs I use. That is the one that I specifically use for. Um, I won't uh, smack talk any DAWs out there except Fruity Loops. <laughs> that was that was my original. Uh, that was that's how I got started, and then I went to Reason, and I have been an Ableton for like the past maybe four or five years now. You know, we've 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 staked our uh, we've we've put our stake in the sand here. We are uh, Ableton people. We are Ableton enjoyers on this, yeah. on this interview. <laughs> if you're if you're using Fruity Loop, stop listening to this episode. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> so so winding things down. Um, this has been an excellent conversation. I always have two final questions that I ask everybody that uh, appears on the show. The first is just what advice uh, would you have for aspiring indie creatives, you know, looking to blaze their path into the industry or those who are looking just to get started on a passion project uh, like you were, but who have no idea where to start? Ooh, that's good. I feel like my path to how this game came to be is a little bit unconventional. So I don't know if my advice is necessarily the best, but what I did do and what everybody can do is if you have an idea and you think it has any potential, invest your time and your energy, and if you need to, your money into it. The easy thing to do is to consume media or just to sit around and do nothing. The hard thing to do is to actively create something. So it's, it's a conscious choice every day to be like, I'm going to invest time into my project. I'm going to make a little bit of progress. So that's like why I love working on my project. Like no matter what, it's basically linear progress. I put more work into it. I get pixel art done. I get audio done. It's a very satisfying experience. And the more time you put into it, the more it comes together. You have to have a lot of patience. For me, I asked every single one of my friends that had any kind of relevant skills, you know, help me make, help me you know, you're an artist. Can you help me design characters? You're a programmer. Do you want to help me make this game? What I learned, everybody's very enthusiastic to say yes, but when it comes to actually doing the work, money talks. Yes. I got so frustrated trying to just organize every, like anybody, like hang out with me. Let me brainstorm some ideas or 
And it just never happened until I started paying people. <laughs> and then it's like, we're all invested, you know? So it, that worked out for me. Might not work out for everybody, but to me, it was about uh, taking the project seriously, investing as much time as I could, finding the best possible people to fill in the gaps of skills that I don't have. While at the same, you know, I didn't do any pixel art before this project. I started off commissioning all the pixel art, doing the mock-ups. And over the last two years, I've put in 10,000 hours doing pixel art and animation. People that watch my stream have watched me go from no no art skills whatsoever to being like an animation god now. So <laughs> if you put in the time and like are are clear on what you want, you know, and I don't know. It's it's uh there's obviously a lot of highs and lows that you have to be able to weather if you're putting yourself out there creatively. Yes. For me, it was really difficult because of the nature of the project. We had really, really high quality artwork and pixel art before we even started development of the game. So right when I started posting about it, I had publishers reaching out being like, hey, are you looking for a publisher? What's your plan here? And I'm like, yes, but we literally haven't even started yet. We just have really pretty artwork. <laughs> fast, fast forward a year later, after working on our demo for a year, we're talking to publishers, sending them our demo. A year ago, they were super excited. Now we send them our demo and they're like, ah, it's not really what we thought it would be. We're going to have to pass on this. It's it's really, really defeating to hear like a bunch of no's over and over again uh, and then be like, well, shoot, we're out of money. Everyone said no to our project. What do we do here? I can't pay the team to like make more progress on the demo. What? How do we get the funding we need to make any more progress on this game? So the last thing I wanted to do was run a Kickstarter. I would I would have much rather just gotten the funding we need from publishers, work on the game in secret for the next two years or whatever, and then unleash it. But uh, I am a very risky bet, you know, <laughs> and understandably so, because I'm a new developer. I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm making a big game that costs a lot of money. But the thing that I think people are realizing is that I'm not really going to give up, and I'm going to do whatever it takes until the game is done, and it's going to be really high quality through and through. Cause that's the kind of projects that I put my name on. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I mean, Hey, what is it? What is any creative project? If not ambitious, bite off more than you can chew and swallow that shit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I think it's like, you know, as just as generally as a creative, like I, I, I think about my own journey as like just getting into music. I didn't know anything in the beginning. I couldn't make a drum pattern. Um, I couldn't play anything to save my life, but it was just like that, kind of dedication to to try then i could make something that was shitty and then mm -hmm. from then like i was proud of that shit and then from and the by then you're not getting frustrated with the software like you know at least how to use it and get your ideas out there so like that i think is such a huge hurdle that most people aren't willing to overcome is like the awkwardness of learning whatever tools that help you get your ideas out there it's i mean i love learning new skills and new software and stuff but I watch other people do tutorials and try to pick up new skills and just get instantly frustrated. So I, I feel for it, you know? Yeah, I gotta. I can only watch so many tutorials and I have to stop and just do it on my own because eventually I'm like, holy shit. How the, like, you know, like some people are are, sure. are wizards and stuff and I have to remind myself, like I am very much starting at the very beginning. So my final question for you is, you know, now that you're on the brink of, of completing this Kickstarter, you just smashed another stretch goal. If I had like a, unbelievable, if I had a cowbell right now, I'd be ringing it. Um, it was so unexpected. We got the big seven K oiler coming through today of pushing us over the, the stretch goal that we just hit is super important too. it's a, uh, it's billed as Marty joins the quest, but there's, 
internally we have a giant list of other uh, enhancements and stuff that we're making that just aren't listed there because there's only so many pixels on that graphic, you know. Yeah. And so now that now that you have you know you you've, you've done this, um, you know, like what is up? What's up next for um, in the development process? And um, you know, what's up next for you? Um, you know, your, your small studio, the, the people that you're working with and, you know, are you, I know that you have a lot on your plate right now with getting this game out the door, but have you also been like noodling any other game ideas now that, you know, you've developed these skills, you have more experience (laughs) with like how this process looks. Yeah, uh, we, we have kind of an internal joke because there's a lot of ideas that we're not going to be able to fit into Frog's Tale, either just because they're too ambitious or they cost too much or just haven't had the time to like develop them for far far enough where it makes sense to spend time on it now. So the internal joke is that we'll put it in Frog 2. <laughs> so we're thinking, I, I have kind of an elegant way to transition the story from Frog 1 to Frog 2, so that's something I've always been kind of thinking about. Um but yeah, I, I've, I'm not really thinking too hard about after Frog's Tale. My, my, my mission is just to finish this game and make sure it's as good as possible. And I'm very tunnel vision, hyper-focused on that, uh, on that goal. For the future, after the Kickstarter campaign, we are you know, looking into some merch initiatives. We really wanted to do a plushie tier for the Kickstarter, but the uh, logistical costs of manufacturing and shipping and stuff just didn't really leave much room for us to make money there. So we're looking into that for after the campaign, as well as some other merchandising opportunities going to be appearing at some conventions and shows and stuff. So uh, come play our demo and you'll probably get a free plushie for doing so. Um, Yeah, we're looking at finishing up our demo in we, we listed February 2023 as the delivery date on the Kickstarter. We just it might be sooner than that. We just really didn't want to say December and, you know, not be able to keep that promise. So February 2023 for the general public, uh, January 2023 for our play tester tiers, December for our beta tester tiers. And then hopefully by then our demo is impressive enough to land us the rest of the funding we need from a publishing partner. We've had a lot of interested publishing partners reach out to us. Um, Problem is we are constantly reassessing and re- evaluating the cost of our game and the things that we can afford to include in it. So we're, we're kind of doing some, some rescoping right now and we need to find out our cost number. Okay. Before we can uh, really start negotiations. Okay. But the interest is there and I, I feel really confident that we'll be able to, to make a really impressive demo with the funds that we gathered from Kickstarter. So, uh, we, our original estimate for release of the full game was 2023, but it's looking more like 2024 at this point. Okay. And is that going to be like, what platforms are you targeting? So we only are listing PC on the Kickstarter. It's, it, we don't even list you know Steam or Epic. We're not specifying. Just, uh, it's it's going to be on PC for sure. It, there's a really good chance it's going to be on the Switch. A lot of people want a Switch version. Yeah, It's just like the Kickstarter for the demo, and we can't really promise that this demo is going to be on the Switch. You know what I mean? Yeah. So a lot of the things that people want, yes, we are thinking about them for the full game and budgeting them for the full game and bringing them up in negotiations for the full game. But the the Kickstarter specifically for the demo, uh, the good news is the team that I'm working with 
we thought about ports from day one. You know, we knew it was going to be uh, a game that would do well on the Switch. So we have those. Um, I don't want to say restrictions, the hardware limitations in mind from the beginning. You'd think it's just a pixel game. You know what? How hard could it really be taxing the Switch? But we are running in 3D under the hood. It's a pixel game for your eyes, but under the hood, <laughs> the software, you know, it's all running in 3D. Okay. Um, yeah, what was the question again? Sorry. Oh, no. Um, that, I just was wondering what platforms you were targeting. That. Oh, platforms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So PC for now for the demo. Can't really promise anything beyond that. For the full game, we're looking into all the platforms that make sense. Switch makes the most sense. So that's what we're, we're focusing most of our efforts on making a Switch port happen. I'm a huge collector of physical games. I know you can't see my, my camera right now, but I have shelves and shelves of Switch games, Super Nintendo games, N64 games. So I, uh, I'm a big fan of packaging, physical media, graphic design, and all those things. So a nice Frog's Tale Collector's Edition is something that I've been thinking about since day one. Nice. And it would be great to get a Frog's Tale too. I'm already calling it. This is going to be a, a game with a very uh, desirable, like we're, everyone's going to want the sequel. So it's good that that's already at least. I think with the way we end it too, people are going to gonna want the sequel. Right. Kind of a cliffhanger-y ending. And then we'll have to talk about Frog's Tale too. Yeah, we should. I mean, it'd be great to do another interview once we get the demo. That way we can play along and ask questions about what exactly you're playing and stuff. So Let's keep in touch for the future. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and so this is the part of the interview where plug anything you would like at all. Open floor. Um, follow Frog's Tale on Twitter. That's our by far our most prevalent platform. It's a, a Frog's Tale game. We have a website that is frogstailgame.com. Wishlist us on Steam. We are a Frog's Tale on Steam. Uh, my personal Twitter, if you want to follow me and get more frequent but more shit post C <laughs> tweets is uh Norman Frog. I'm Norman Frog on most social medias or Norman the Frog on Twitch if you want to watch my Twitch streams. Cool content on YouTube at Norman the Frog if you want to see some devlog type stuff. Yeah, I think that's everything. Awesome. I, w- I would plug the Kickstarter, but I, you said by the time this goes up the Kickstarter will be done. But in, you know, Still go to the Kickstarter, read the campaign, watch the trailer. Those stay up forever, I think. Yes, they do, yes. Cool. Awesome. It was great having you on the show. Um, Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for having me. I I love doing interviews and talking to people like this, especially if you're music-minded and can kind of understand the the language I'm speaking. Love it. Yes, absolutely. And with that, we've wrapped up this episode of Those Who Play Create. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you choose to listen. Stay up to date with the Lore Party Network by connecting with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch at lore underscore party. And if you're in the game industry and would like to appear on the show, shoot me a message on Twitter at produced by underscore LK. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.